All right, guys, today we're talking to Zach Payne with Icon Roofing out of Mesa, Arizona. Uh, what's up, Zach? What's up, Doug? Not much. You're kicking ass in Arizona. That's uh, that's a fact. So, yes, you know, just, just to get a brief on kind of who you are and, and, you know, what you guys do out there, can you give us just a little sure. little bit of background on, you know, kind of the area, some services you guys provide, and, and sure. you know, the team you have behind all of it? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we're based out of Mesa. It's a suburb of Phoenix. We are predominantly residential we do about three and a half ish million a year. We have seven, what I call executives. So there's me and six other people, two for the office, two for production, two for sales that work with me. And then we have all 1099 subcontractor crews. They're technically 1099, but we basically give them work every day of the week. So we kind of call them our people, but on paper, they're technically their own subcontractors. Uh, most of our work is residential. We do a bunch of multifamily housing and a little bit of commercial, but mostly residential uh, not really into the storm market. We have some storms here, but we don't really prey on those. Like if it happens, great, but we don't go knock doors or do anything like that. We're just kind of more uh, retail residential. Awesome. So you've got uh, about three and a half million bucks. How long have you been at it? Sure. Started it July of 21. So two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's rocking. I mean, it takes a lot of guys a long time to hit hit that three and a half million dollar mark that's for sure so what yeah I was looking over the numbers actually tb like somebody asked me like what what was your year like year to year to year revenues in the first year we started in july of 21 we did half a million from july to december then 22 we did three million and then this year we did three and a half so wow. it's been slowly grow i mean the 22 we actually like did put work in but a little bit of growth this year not not like substantial we, did, we didn't really try we more organic growth for us we don't try to you know put the the cart before the the, the horse too much so yeah and that that's just this year but that first full year in business i mean that's explosive growth how did you do that because i know i know from my experience you know we had quite a construction background to where we were generating a, a fair amount of revenue when we, you know, basically simplified our business to just a roofing business. So we had, you know, a lot of presence in the community already, but to go from zero to a hundred like that, you know, what, what did you do to create that kind of growth? To be honest, I don't know. Like, I feel like we just did everything the right way. I try to build some, like this year. So 23, I'm more, more, more focused on the infrastructure and like getting people on the bus, the right seats on the bus. But in 22, it was more of like, hey, let's just go all in. I mean, we're already all in in, 20, in 21. But like, if I were to go back and say, this is what we did. Like, I truly can't say what we did, except just what I feel like everything right. We we were pretty active on social media. We're good at referrals. We didn't really try to get any reviews in 22, which is shocking because this 23 year, we did focus on reviews. We're at 121 on Google now. And we had like maybe 50 up until like the beginning of March of this year. So like we've been ramping up our efforts on reviews lately, but that didn't really help us in 22. So like if I were to say why we had that huge increase, I, I don't truly know, except, you know, getting good people behind us, doing the right thing, standing up to what's right and don't back down for anything they say needs to be done. Like, Hey, if it was our fault, 
we own up to, we'll, we'll take care of it. But yeah, I mean, I, I hired a sales guy. I, I hired production guys to take care of production. So I can focus on sales with another guy. And this year, this last year, I hired two people or two people moved one to production and then hired two sales guys. So the two sales guys do pretty much all that volume. I do a little bit on the side for people I know, but I don't really sell at all. It's mostly my two sales guys. So most of your leads in 22 and in 23, I would assume, were social media and word of mouth type leads. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we don't. We never pay for leads, really. This year, we started to actually like do some Google work and some SEO, but like we didn't really have much going on in 22 to even pay for. It was mostly just. So those aren't even those aren't even necessarily advertised paid ads on Facebook. It's organic Facebook that you've been yep. rocking on. Yeah. That's really impressive. How many out, what's your following on Facebook? If you don't mind. That's a good question. Yeah. Probably a couple thousand on okay. Facebook. That's, um, that's really Insta- good. Instagram is not very much. We don't have that good of a following on, on Instagram. On Facebook, we have a couple thousand. Mostly T-Bay, the most thing that I could think of is being active on social media. I hate, to be fair, I hate social media. My wife is really good at it. That's like her job and she gets paid to do that. But like, I hate it, but I do it for work because I know there's a value in it. But the main thing that I've seen in our business is when you're in a bunch of the Facebook groups, like a certain neighborhood group or a certain towns group, people will ask, hey, I need a roofer. People will refer us in that group. And that's where like, I'd say the majority of our leads in 22 came from was Facebook groups that somebody asked for a referral or a recommendation. And then somebody that we knew that we either did work with or that we're friends with would, you know, recommend us. And that's where, like I said, I'd probably say the majority and then then the rest were just referrals. We never really paid for Google or Yelp or we never, we never even have home advisor. We, we tried Yelp for a little bit to, bring in some, but they were all just crappy leads. So we stopped paying for Yelp leads. So I know out, out in Arizona, I know very little about the the area, but I do know, you know, that market has a lot of tile type roofs, which, which is something I'm not familiar with, but could you give us a little insight or background into what, you know, your business, are you, are you putting a bunch of asphalt shingles on? Are you doing a bunch of metal? Or are you just replacing tile? What, what is it? What does that look like? Yeah. So the majority of our work is tile. Like I'm looking at our, our, our report right now. There's some stuff that needs to be fixed, but the majority of our, our income is from tile roofs. Are you so, replacing the tile or not? Not usually it's the underlayment underneath the tile. So we'll take the tile off, replace the underlayment then put the same tiles back down. Yes. You'll gotcha. need to replace some tiles, but the majority of it, you replace just the paper not the tiles some some clients want all new tile and we'll do that and that costs a lot of money but the majority of our stuff we reuse all the tile like we're doing five jobs today and every single well there's two there's shingles but one all the one that we're doing are not replacing the tile or reusing all of the tile so your material cost is not real significant anywhere on tile no our margins are really good on tile on shingles, yep. they're not very good. And we're actually working on our pricing for shingles because we just don't make as much money on shingles. But tile, yeah, we're consistently north of 40% in, in gross profit on tile jobs. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. So yeah. 
I mean, with what you've done, there's not, there hasn't been too many mistakes. There can't be to have that kind of operation in three years, but stumbling, stumbling blocks. But yeah, we, we try to, (laughs) what, uh, I mean, nobody's perfect, but you, you've, uh, you've done something pretty impressive in, in a very short amount of time, in my opinion. So, but in that, you know, surely there was a big speed bump somewhere along the way that there was a hold up or a setback or a challenge. What, what, what's the biggest problem you've faced in these three years? I can't say it's labor at all. Like we have a lot of good guys and so we have three solid crews that we use every day and they're doing re-roofs or repairs for us. We have a small crew. That's a one man show that does stuff for us. But like, I wouldn't say labor was ever an issue for us. Material is also not an issue. It's more of like the process that we've been perfecting over the last two and a half years. So that, and also training and educating our guys of like, hey, you need to do this so that you don't get caught with your pants down when you don't specify in the scope of work of what you are or are not doing. Um, another big that we did was, this might come up later, but we started implementing company cam last year. And that was really helpful because when we do jobs, they're never, almost never they're one day jobs. They're like two, three, four, five days because of how much labor it takes to move tile around and all that. So unfortunately, we sometimes get exposed to overnight storms down here. And I would always ask the crews like, hey, take photos to prove that, you know, you, you covered the roof up properly, all that. Sometimes they wouldn't. They told me they did, and they didn't. So we had a couple instances where we left a roof open overnight. They told me they did. It was all good, and then it rained, and it you know it was a lot of money to fix it. And then we started implementing company cam and saying, hey, at the end of every day, every crew has to take a photo of every slope and every penetration because we can't afford to not be watertight at the end of the night. And that was a big, for us, a big transition period of like, we can't keep shelling money out for dumb mistakes that are very very overcomable and so that was a big thing for us was like having the crews every day take photos of every job and upload them in a company cam so that if thing were to happen we could show like hey we did everything we could to make this roof watertight if it leaked you know the wind blew it off that's not our fault but like we weren't negligent we didn't just leave it open because we're dumb like sure that was one but again it's, i feel like it's more of some refining our process so that everything we do is like legit and very apparent and very transparent and in your face of like we are going to do this we're not going to do this and that has cut down a lot of our you know callbacks and whenever it rains we almost never get any warranty leaks it's always outside of where we did or it was stucco or it was a area we didn't even touch yet so we rarely have warranty leaks at all which is great but that also helps because we take the documentation and photos for Every job we do. You're right. We're we're going to dig into that a little deeper, but I do want to go ahead and and put a plug in here, just just because I think anybody listening, we all started out, we all started with some sort of hands-on activity. Whether that's you know, in my case, I, I was the guy selling and nailing shingles. You know, I would sell a job and I I take my crew to nail it on. You know, so in your case, I, I we'll, we'll get to what where you started in this, but you know, everybody started to where they can't be everywhere at once. If there's one thing that that you can do in your business that's so simple, so inexpensive, is go buy company cam and put it in your daily process because it, I mean, it's, I, I can't emphasize enough. There's a couple pieces of tech and, and like I said, we'll, we'll get to that. And I plan on doing a, a full 
piece on on a couple of these really inexpensive pieces of technology. But you know, with, in today's world, to not know what's going on on your job site is inexcusable. And for a very very low monthly uh, expense, you know, we we re- require our guys. Um, to take progress pictures throughout. We, we want to see the roof tore off. We want to see every picture of damaged sheeting. We want to see the roof when it's completely prepped, felted, ice guarded, drip edge. And then we want to see progress pictures while they're nailing on shingles. In addition, if the roof isn't going to get done that day, just like you, we want to see that thing's dried in uh, at the end of the day. You know, I, I'm, I'm sitting in Texas. My crews are working in Ohio and West Virginia right now. And I, I've just checked the company cam before we jumped on this call and, you know, I, I can see every project that's in progress and what the heck's going on. So, yeah, I, I can't stress that enough. In my opinion, you got to have it. So I think that's a that's a great thing that you implemented in your in your guys' process. But back to it's a little bit of a learning curve, because most of our guys don't speak English at all. And I speak right. Spanish only, so it helps that I speak Spanish. But like with them getting the you know, learning how to use an app instead of just taking photos on your phone and then like sending them later. Like luckily company cam does a pretty good job of whether you're in a really remote area where the reception sucks, like it'll still take it, but it won't upload it until you get back to a good area of reception. So that wasn't an excuse for our guys anymore. Like you can't say that you don't have good reception because company cam still takes the pictures. It may not upload it yet, but it's there. And then once right. you get to Wi-Fi or a good reception area, it will upload. So that, that was another thing that I think company came did a good job of. Like you took away the excuses to not do it. And also like we're going to stop using our crews if they don't do what we asked them to. It's like, hey, I'm sorry, this is a little more work for you to like open up an app and take all these you know, 100 photos per job, whatever it is. Like that's something very dumb and very easy to overcome with company cam, which I think has been a very good blessing for us. Well, and I think we are the same way. Our our crews are poor at speaking English, but to start it, it seemed like we were pulling teeth to get them to use it. Mm-hmm. And, and what that means is you got to go train your subs. You know, if you're going to use subs, it's no different than having guys in house. Mm-hmm. You got you got to go train them. You got to yeah. get out on the job. When, and when it's tore off, get up there and say, "Hey, guys, here's." Take this picture, take this picture, take this picture. Okay, go ahead and put your felt on. Okay, now we're going to take these, you know, and you got to train these guys because they're more than happy to do it. It's just they don't they don't know what all you're asking for all the time. Yeah. So um, yeah. sometimes that language barrier can definitely be difficult, but you just got to physically get out there and show them what you want. So and I believe company was a Spanish option now too, which is kind of fun. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. So yeah, that makes it even that much easier, but Back to kind of the beginning a little bit, um, we, we kind of got off track, but but when, you know, you started two and a half, how old are you? Uh, I just turned 30, this year's 20, 32. 32. So when you were 30 years old-ish, you started this business. Yep, so, 20. so you, you know, had some work history in the past. How did you get into the roofing business for yourself? I started pretty much right during college, like when I started college in 2013, my uncle owns a roofing company here in the same uh, part of town we live in. And I worked for him for, well, during college, I come back because I went to Utah state. So during the summers, I come back, work for him. I started like at the very bottom pulling trailers and that was really it moving material, just like the bottom of the totem pole. The next year 
he started me doing project management. So like I started looking over crews. I spoke Spanish, which is helpful, but like actually talking to the crews and seeing what they needed instead of just like having a guy above me in English say, hey, they need this metal, go get it. Okay, cool, go get it. The next year was actually managing the projects, a lot of them. And then the year after that, I actually started to like project manage as well, but also learn more about the roofing itself. And I also worked for my uncle's other company who did the greenhouses and all the Home Depots in the Southwest. He replaced all the panels on the side. So I was managing that crew. And there's, you know, it was Arizona, New Mexico, parts of Nevada that we had to go to all the time. And it was annoying. That's why I wanted to keep doing it anymore. But then after I graduated, I moved into sales and that's where I was for a couple of years, did well. Then after that, my uncle bought another roofing company uh, in the Valley. <laughs> so then he promoted me to be the general manager of that company. So I ran that company for almost two years, tried to buy the business out from him. Like, hey, this is my intention the whole time was I'm going to build this thing to be profitable and the way I want it. And I want to buy it for me when the time comes. He just didn't wasn't ready to part ways, didn't really, he thought it was worth more than it was, whatever. So I said, hey man, you know, I'll be very amicable. I won't steal anything from you. We'll just, you know, shake hands and part ways and I'll start my own thing. And yeah, I started my own thing. Pretty much everybody that worked for me, literally everybody just jumped ship and just followed me after I left. I had another crew, so I didn't take them, but eventually they all just migrated with me and also, also all the clients because they didn't love working with that company anymore. So it was a pretty seamless, for me, a very seamless transition from when I left my uncle's company to starting my own. It was like, I was already doing everything I was doing. I just never got the upside of any real money, but I saw the same problems of like, if it was leaking, it was still my fault. And I'd still, maybe not pay for it, but I'd still get yelled at. So it's like, when I started my own thing, I saw the same concerns and same issues, but at least I got the upside of making a little more money out of it. So that was that was good. And then, yes, yeah, so that was July of 21 that I started it. And then we've just been chugging along since that. And that makes, that makes sense. So you, your background is, is all roofing, you know, you, you've got quite the resume when it comes yeah. to um, running a roofing business. So when, when you, you know, in your first couple years, first year and a half, you know, what was the biggest the hardest thing you you had to overcome, you know, if, if a, a new owner or somebody trying to, you know, find their way as an owner, you know, was listening, what, what piece of advice would you give them to that? If hindsight's 2020, you could redo what, what would that be? I don't know if it's something I would redo, but something that I ran across a lot when I first started out was like, Oh, you're, you're new. Like, yeah, you're right. The company's new, but I've been around it for years. And that was a little bit of a challenge when I first started out was like, oh, you're literally like a two-year-old license like or two-month-old license. Like, well, yeah, but like the same crews that were working for, me, for my uncle, they're still with me and they're doing the same jobs, just different license number. And it's mine instead of theirs. So that was a big challenge, I think, for the first several months was just getting over that hurdle. But if somebody knows you and you're a referral from somebody, they don't really care how old your business is because they have that trust from somebody else or on Facebook, like, they may vet you, they may not, but that was for me a little bit of a challenge on the front end was overcoming that hurdle. But then I was also doing everything. I had to, wore every hat. I had to go set the appointment. I had to go do the appointment. I'd sell the job. Then I had to manage the job and I'd do the final walkthrough. Then I had, luckily, my first hire was my sister and she still works for me. Uh, she was helping me with the phone calls and invoicing. And that was like such a weight off my shoulders, probably like 
a month in, I hired her. I'm like, yeah, it's a little bit of a gamble, but like I physically can't do all this work by myself. I have to have somebody. So my first hire was actually my sister, who's the office manager. And that was a big, big help to get off the phones that are just not to be rude, just tedious stuff that doesn't need to be me doing it, like just somebody in general doing sure. it. Um, that was super helpful is to get out of that and focus on what's really bringing in money, which was selling, managing the job, making sure it's good. Final walkthroughs are huge for us because if it doesn't look good, we're not going to you know, put our stamp of approval on it. So that was a, another hurdle was like, how do you have so many hats with limited money? And it was just like more of a leap of faith almost at the beginning of like, I have to pay my sister X amount of dollars an hour to help me because I just physically can't with all the crap we have going on, which is good. It was a good blessing. That's blessed. You know, that's a good problem to have, to have a lot of work. And that was a little bit of a learning curve at the beginning, but yeah, that was by far my favorite and easiest thing to do was uh, looking back as a hire first. Sure. sure. So I, I know, uh, you and I have spoke multiple times before and, and you know, have, a, have an ongoing relationship. So I know a, a little bit more uh, about you and your story than than a stranger. But, uh, you know, I know one thing you say all the time um, that you credit your success to is being blessed. But um, I, I also believe there's a lot more to that story. We're blessed to be breathing to have a successful roofing business uh, is a whole nother level. And I believe for you, but what I know, a lot of that success stems from how you take care of people and the priority that that is to you between customers and employees and family and, and, you know, the community. Tell us a little bit about how you try to set yourself apart from everybody else just by simply doing the right thing and taking care of people. Cause I know that's a huge priority to you. Yeah. So when I hired my first sales guy, um, he's actually our production manager. Now he, he wasn't very good at sales. So I kind of moved him over to another piece of the, of the, of the company to do better over there. Yeah. You got to do that sometimes. Yeah. Find, find what you guys are good at and, and give them the tools for success. Yeah. He was not meant for sales. So <laughs> we moved him over, which has been very good to get him out of there. Um, and he speaks Spanish too, which helps. Um, so going back to your question, I was a lacrosse coach and I played lacrosse in college and I find a lot of joy in teaching and educating people. So teaching our people how to do things the right way to me is more of like, it's kind of fun, but it's also like very important because if you teach them or you don't teach them, <laughs> they're not going to do it the way you want and probably do it wrong. They may learn eventually to do it the right way, but like if you teach them first how to do it the right way, they may implement something a little bit different for the better down the road. That's cool. But at least, you know, the bare bones, like what I expect from you. So teaching our sales guys like, Hey, I want you to be very honest with our people, like our clients. I don't want you to upsell something. If you don't believe it's necessary, if a whole roof sucks, the whole roof sucks. There's nothing, there's no other way about it. There's, you know, we call a spade a spade, right? But if you can just get by with a repair, cool. Let's do a repair, patch it for now. You're going to sell the house next year. Don't waste 20 G's into a roof when you're not going to see the benefit of it. So being very honest and upfront and showing that you care in person is very helpful because a lot of people just don't care anymore. And that sometimes it shows they may put on a good face and, you know, fake it till they make it. But our people I've been hounding on, like, if you don't care about people, you're just not going to make it. It's as simple as that. You have to show that you care because people can read through BS. It's very easy. 
you're working for a paycheck. You just need that that sale just to make your mortgage for that week. Like people can smell desperation. And if you show that you're not desperate and like, hey, even if we're very low on work, I'm not going to show that we're low on work. I'm like, hey, I can sell you a hole in the roof, but you don't need it technically. And I'd rather sleep good at night knowing that I sold you a repair than a whole re-roof and you're pissed off at me because you spent way more money than you had to. You had to take out a HELOC or whatever to afford it. But showing that you care and actually meaning that you care is very important to us because no one's ever going to refer you if they feel like you didn't care about them, especially spending that much money on something. Like if you do a plumbing repair, you go, you know, unclog a drain for 60 bucks. Like nobody cares what the experience was like. You got my, my, my toilet to flush or my garbage disposal work. But when you're spending 10, 15, 20, 30 grand on a roof, it's a lot of money and it's hard work that they've invested in themselves to pay for that. We don't take it lightly. And that's why I feel like for us, we always have very, very happy customers. Whether they leave a review or not, that's something different. But they're, every single client I can think of was very happy. Or if they weren't, we made them happy at the end of it. Whether they didn't, we did something wrong or something happened because construction stuff happens. But at the end of every transaction, I make sure everyone's happy with us. Whether we lost money or we made money. Because yeah. I'd rather make a loss than make money but have them be pissed off at us because that's just not how I want to do business. I agree. I agree so much with all of that because that's that's always been, you know, kind of, you know, the sword that we all die on that 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 make it. You know what I mean? Because for us, I, I can't think of how many times, you know, we've had customers that that just we weren't gonna make happy, but we weren't gonna leave them upset. You know, one way or the other, we screwed up. You know what I mean? We, I can think of an instance where we we put a roof on and it rained, you know, and it, it damaged some stuff inside and it, it personal belongings, not just some drywall. And I mean, by the time it was all said and done, we basically gave them the roof just to try to ease that pain. You know what I mean? Because we knew that we screwed up. It, we simply didn't get it dried in and it is what it is. You just got to take care of people and understand that, you know, that's their home. And, yeah. you know, that's one big thing in, in this business is that I don't think, you know, mechanics or, you know, places like that always get the same. It's not your home. You know what I mean? When you're working on where a person lives and they raise their family and they have their family photo albums and all this stuff, you know, there, there's a lot of sentiment to it. And, uh, if, if you don't go the extra mile to take care of them and take care of that place. Their home is going to be their most expensive, valuable thing in their life. Maybe if they make a lot of money, they'll have some investment somewhere else. But like your home is 99% of people fall. It's going to be the most important, most valuable thing you own. And we don't take that lightly because we know, Hey, your house costs a million bucks or 500,000 or 200,000. Like to us, it doesn't matter. It's still the same home to you, whether it's worth a lot or worth a little, it's still the same concept to you of, you sleep here, you raise your kids here, you eat dinner here, you watch the Vikings lose here, like all that stuff. That's important for us to know and realize. I said that because we're doing a, a client that's a Vikings fan. I make fun of him. But the thing about that, I feel like is you don't give them a whole new house, but you make it right in every aspect and say, hey, is there anything else we can do to make you happy? Because yeah, we messed up. We totally own up to it. We screwed up. How can we make it right? And then if they say, oh, I want to do this, by all means, we'll do it. We'll get it dry clean. We'll go get you a new table, whatever it is. Obviously, drywall is always a thing, but 
we don't have to give them a whole new house and go, go into debt for this thing, but you do have to kind of define a line and stick to it of like, we're going to make you happy and we're going to do it right, but we're not going to give away the farm to make you happy. There's a, there is a finite limit to our, what we can make you happy with. Cause they, some people just aren't happy. No matter what you do, they're going to be pissed off. But if you can minimize that, that's our goal is to one, don't pick clients that are, just negative Nancy's in the first place. That's not our ideal client anyway. So we try to avoid them in, at, at all possible. But if they become angry because you messed up, whatever it is, it's construction, it happens. But how you react to it is how I feel like what sets people apart and what keeps you in business is how you react to problems. They're always going to happen, but how you react to those problems and how you make them feel is what makes you very different from your comp- competition and what will keep you in business than I'm here to make a quick buck. It's not, it's not my fault in this line item right here. It says we're not involved in, you know, decking unless it's bad. And then we're going to charge you extra for it. If you didn't read that, it's not our fault. But again, sometimes we get pissed off. It's like, it's 200 bucks. It's fine. It's better to make them happy and eat that 200 bucks and die on the sword and make 200 bucks. Like it's not worth it. And we actually get a review out of that. Usually most of the time. So it's like, right. It's way more valuable to eat that cost. And that, that's something too. I, I've always noticed if I want, I go, I, I scout my competition, you know what I mean? And I, I definitely scout areas that we're attempting to enter. And <laughs> I, you know, I'm a Google junkie. I love Google. I, I use it for everything. I always check reviews. If I'm going to go eat dinner, I'm, I see what the reviews are, you know? So, but the one thing I've found in, in Google, if you're a good roofing company, just look for the, look at the bad reviews. Don't look at the good ones. Everybody's got good reviews. Uh, Any reputable company has good reviews, but look at the bad ones. I've got, you know, I've got competition that, you know, has four and a half stars. They also have maybe, maybe 30 reviews. There are five that are like, they stole from me. They cheated me. They took that they, they took a huge deposit, never showed up, you know, these really, really bad reviews. And then, you know, a week later, they've got 10 five-star reviews with no words. Well, guess what? They're trying to bury it. They called yeah. all their buddies, told them to leave five-star. You know, if, if you want to see who's good, go look at I've got two reviews that aren't five stars out of uh, like 150. One of them, I try to take responsibility and, and I do. We had a leak after we did the job, like a year later, eight months later, something like that. The drywall sub that we were using didn't communicate with the customer to fix the drywall. It never got relayed to us that they weren't talking to them. And then before I was contacted that my my drywall sub's not holding up to his end of the bargain, they left a review saying, these guys screwed me. They're not fixing the damage to the inside of my house. And it's like, well, shit, man. Like, just call me because I'll go yeah. rip these guys apart and tell them, hey, you need to go fix this. Like, today, you know. Yeah. But that's the worst one we've got. And, and I think, and not not bragging, not bragging at all. I think that's how you can see who's really trying. If, if that's the worst thing that one person out of 150 can say about you. Mind you, we've had, last year we had about 500 customers. So, I mean, we're not real great at getting reviews, just we're doing better. But if you really piss somebody off, they'll leave you a bad one, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I think, I think that says a lot to what you're doing. They now. don't, they don't typically go away. No, they, they don't, they don't go away. They will. They are very adamant about making you hurt for what you did, whether it was avoidable or not. Yep. They, they want to make it known that I'm going to do as much damage as I can 
that, that's a well, and, and they they feel that you did the damage to them, so yes. they're going to repay the favor. But anyway, let's let's dig in a little bit. You run project managers with your sales reps. Mm-hmm. Each sales rep has a has a PM. Is that right? I, not really. We're I don't know. Maybe we're dumb, but we just have like two. We have like a production manager and a project manager on the production side. And they just take care of all the projects. They don't have like, hey, you're in charge of these crews or these salespeople. It's just like a collective effort. Like, hey, if you can't get to this job, this other guy will go take care of it. We don't have like, you're in charge of this guy and this job. They don't, that's not how we work. It's like, we're, we're a team. We just do whatever is needed. You do figure it out for every job we do. And then the sales guys, they just sell and they don't ever have to manage the project because they're too busy and should be selling. So we don't are have they, Are they on a round robin type schedule? Your sales guys, like as calls come in, do they just get mm-hmm. to one, two, three, one, two, three, yeah, like that? Okay. Much, yeah. There's, there's not like geographic areas. Like you're in charge of this area because they both live on the same side of town. So it's like, we can't only give it to you because you're both right. living over there. So it's like whatever comes in, um, we just divvy it up appropriately. If it's a lead from a client that they sold, by all means, they get that, you know, sure. preferential treatment. But if it's like a random Joe that comes in, it's like, hey, whoever's closest, whoever's the first to be available, they get it. So now, um, how do you do the? Because we do our sales guys do a cradle to grave type system. We we do have, and I call it a um, you know a sales assistant that basically you know can not necessarily go to an appointment, but if a customer needs more, you know, samples to look at, or if, if we need to go grab a couple extra pictures because something got missed or, you know, or some material needs ran to a job in production, you know, this guy is, he's like a utility guy. So that's how we do it. So there's not really a handoff in our process, which I've come to love. Um, it, it, there is some difficulty that comes with that, but how do you, you know, your sales guy sells the job. How do you hand that off from sales to the production team we get our office involved so like when somebody so we use jobber for crm and like i said i think half of our almost half no yeah just about half of our income comes from credit cards so they pay with a credit card online we get notification hey the job got approved okay cool great ashley my sister goes looks at the schedule schedules it with a certain crew then reaches out to the client says hey client you're scheduled for this day at this time then there's a little bit of a lull there. We're trying to, we're kind of bridging that gap right now. We talked to another girl who's named Ashley that works for us ironically yesterday and having her kind of fill that void of like when you sell the job versus when you do the, like the day you do the job, there's a little gap there that nobody talks to you and trying to have somebody like, Hey, how's it going? Did you read what we told you about that whole disclaimer page about cut your grass, take down your urn, so it doesn't fall down and break all that crap. We're trying to bridge that gap, but, it goes from sales to office, office to production. And then our production guys get involved. They do everything during the job. When it's done, they reach back out to our group message in our, in our office or you know, as a company and say, hey, this job is done. Now it's time to do the walkthrough. The final walkthrough gets done by the original sales guy. So the sales guy does come back around because that's who sold the job. You should be right. the same person that comes in, you know. That's the, place the you, that's the place you trusted to sign the contract. Exactly. Like, you don't know Jared. Jared didn't sell the job. It was Dylan or Trevor. So you should be meeting with Dylan or Trevor or myself if I sold it. Like, I got to go do one today in a nice part of town. But, like, that's where we kind of avoid the production side with our sales and then come back when it's important to make sure they're happy. 
what you proposed was done because nobody else knows about the job except for you because you told it. Make sure it's cleaned up. They do a magnet. They go up on the roof. They take pictures, all that. Um, then once that's done, they reach out to our office again and say, hey, we're done. Here's the photos. Here's the extras. Invoice it. Done. So our sales guys don't get involved too much because they complain anyway. But like I try to have them not do too much of the production side or project management because it's just not where their money is made. I'd rather have somebody else that doesn't make as much money do that to help alleviate issues and that's i feel like it's been very good there's probably something else we can do to you know tweak it a little bit but for us it's been very advantageous to have two production guys two sales guys and two office girls to kind of again make it very efficient so if i were to go away for a week or two like my my wife's had a baby and i was gone for like two weeks i was still like answering calls but i wasn't really working and it was just perfectly fine like no nobody really skipped a beat i still milled every once in a while when there's like a fire to put out but for the most part, it's that's what I've been trying to do is implement a infrastructure to run itself so that if I were to be away, it'll still run perfectly fine without me. There's still calls coming in. There's still sales being made. There's still jobs being done. There's still walkthroughs being done and invoices being paid. There's a person following up about age receivables that haven't been paid after two, three, four weeks. Like That's been very another thing that I started really honing in on last year was getting infrastructure in the business in place so that it's kind of seamless there's still like there's some chinks in the armor sometimes but for the most part it's a pretty good handoff from sales to office to production to sales back to office so and i think as as we grow that's going to be something we'll probably have to go back to because i do like my sales guys selling but last year 23 we did about seven million bucks with about three guys selling but my guys work on service areas, but I live where I live so rural. I mean, it's two hours to a target. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you could be in uh, some other states and be a long way from anything, but I mean, I'm two hours to target, no matter which way you go. It's rural. So that, you know, that's kind of how we're structured. But as as we take over more and more market share in, in the couple big, bigger areas that we're chasing yeah i'm sure we'll have to have to start implementing that but i want to ask you something because we're going to talk just a, for not not too long about technology but i do want to i do want to bring it up because i think uh in today's day and age you got to be using it I, I think jobber was jobber was the crm i used prior to what i'm doing now it's fantastic uh for in my opinion a certain point i think there is a point where you'll grow out of jobber and i think you're probably not too far from that for us we grew out of it when we added multiple locations it made it jobber gets a little bit funny on how to handle that it Mm -hmm. it doesn't like it not that you can't still use it it just it just gets more difficult anyway it it does it 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 takes it takes a little bit of working around to get it get it to do what you want to do to get the right records and get the right numbers that you're trying to pull from that CRM. But you mentioned you're trying to work this other girl in during that downtime, which Mm -hmm. I think is a great idea. We do something, and this isn't just to give you advice. This is just for discussion. We do something during that time using automations and using tech. And I know just a little background is off rails, but I, I do want to explain to anybody listening uh, Zach and I are in a mastermind group together with about 
five or six other guys, I believe, right now. It, it's great. You know, we, there, there's multiple reasons guys should get involved in some si- some sort of group with the whether it be other business owners, other roofing contractors, whatever. There's a bunch of reasons you share info. How, how many people do you know in the position we're in? Especially if you can get in a group that's a bunch of young guys, which just so happens the group we're in is a bunch of young guys kicking ass. You know, so it may it gives you a place to. Mine go. is Ruben. Ruben's old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but it, it gives us a place to go to even just have a conversation with other young successful contractors. You know, so I I think that I think anybody listening, uh, if you've got that opportunity, take it. But and it helps that they're yeah. not in the same market, so you're not like sharing secrets or you're taking market share. They're like nobody cares if you exactly. take my ideas because right. Well, you're in Arizona, I'm in Ohio, but but to to get into the tech a little bit, you know. We go from once that deal's closed, you know, and that, that and that salesman has been, you know, nurturing that lead, talking to them, doing follow-up, and then boom, they sign a contract. Once that contract signed, like you said, you know, for us, we try to book out about three weeks. That's like our sweet spot. We don't want to book out much further than that, and we don't like getting much shorter than that. Um, yeah. we, we do get shorter than that, and we do get longer, but that's our sweet spot. But three weeks is a, a decent duration of time of potentially zero contact with that customer. Could they be, you know, I, I can't tell you, it still happens to us. They'll call us two weeks after they signed the contract. Hey, I got to back out. Well, you know what they did. They found somebody that gave them a better price yeah. or something. And that's our fault because we didn't just keep communicating, keep in touch, yeah. make sure that they understand that we're still here. We're doing this job, Right. We ended up starting to use ProLine as an automation tool, and we are making a couple tweaks. But um, when that deal gets closed, there is a there is a couple messages that go out, you know, spaced out. And I think we could do better, maybe add a couple more. But basically, it, talking to them just it's just a simple customer name. Just letting you know, we're getting closer to doing your project. Your materials have been ordered. We're so excited to get started. Oh, by the way, here's a little list of things you should keep in mind for your upcoming project. You know, like you said, mow your grass short. Get your get your uh, globes out of the garden. Get you know, pull your landscape lights out before we come. Leave the driveway open for us to back a trailer in. You know, whatever. Just just assuring them that hey, this is happening and it's happening soon. We're still here. So my my question is, and and I'm just curious, what's your thought on bringing in a real person to fill that gap instead of using tech? It's still new for us because I asked Ashley to do it like a month ago, and ironically, it was during the holidays, so we didn't really. She wasn't as on top of it as she should have been. She did it for like a week. She, she called four people. Two people didn't answer. She had voicemail. Other two were like, oh, yeah, no, I already knew. We're good. Like, okay, cool, dude. See you later. Sure. It was like a very simple, like, all right, dude. She's going to be continuing it again this week uh, so that she'll – she's calling the Friday before we start. So she's calling on Friday and basically just going over the exact checklist of, like, did you cut your grass? Did you take down all your all your frames on your house that might rattle loose? Did you, is your driveway clean? Did you get that car that doesn't work out of the driveway that we, you can't move? She's basically just like, hey, do you know what's happening? Are you good? Do you have any questions? If she has questions, she can always relay them to us and we can reach out to the client personally. 
but we already have Ashley at our disposal, fortunately, and it doesn't take that much time out of her day on a Friday to call and to say, hey, what's up, client? How you doing? Do you know what's happening? Did you read the email at all? Because most of our clients don't read it. They're like, okay, cool. I saw the date. Great. They don't read. Don't forget wood is not included. We don't paint wood. Don't forget we uh, are. It's going to be noisy and very messy. So don't forget it. You might want to you know, put a tarp or a blanket underneath your skylight or your solar tube. So she's more of like a fact checker because I feel like it's one more touching point to our client that we haven't done yet, but I think is a good thing. And two, you might get some problems out of the way before we even start and set a clear expectation because most of our clients that are mad at us is because they either had a different expectation or they misunderstood what we were saying or just expected something completely different. Like, well, how do we know what you're expecting if you didn't tell us what you were expecting? So our our job as a salesperson is to say, this is what you can expect. This is a realistic expectation of what's going to happen during the job, before the job, and after the job. And hopefully they understood it that way. But we also send an email to kind of verify, this is what we said. Don't, you know, misread it or heard it wrong. And then actually calling on Fridays, I think is going to be very helpful. It gives that more personable touch. The automation you're talking about, I think is also very good. Jobber doesn't have it, unfortunately, but Hatch, which is like a communication platform that integrates with Jobber, we've worked with, but that's more on the sales side, not on the production side. So if we were to automate it, we're going to have to figure out a way to automate. Looks like you said, hey, you're good. Did you get your date? And then, you know, the week before, hey, the material's ordered. It's going to be delivered on X date, whatever it is. That is different than for us having a person call, which I like a more personable aspect if we can, because then it just makes it seem more personable, more like we care than just, hey, I got a, email, a message from somewhere in India that says, yeah, we're going out this week. Okay, cool. That's new for us, but I'm excited for it because I think it might make the experience more rich for our client and hopefully prevent problems from happening in the first place because people don't people just generally forget that we're going out there like oh i did not remember you're coming today like oh they kind of gave us like 10 g's of the deposit so you i mean cool but (laughs) that you paid us to come out here so it happens so it's more like a fact checking just cross all the boxes type deal but i don't have any real data yet of like it's been great like done it twice and it was good for those people to answer but other two people got a voicemail they may not ever call us back but at least they got the voicemail so they well, know what to expect it, and and what you said is spot on too with setting expectation we we send out what you've seen seen my uh my email uh and my text and and uh if anybody's interested i'd be happy to share but but we send out a really nice but to the point message to every customer when they sign a contract explaining, understand, we're going to make a mess, but also understand we're going to clean it up at the end of the day. There's going to, you know, it's going to be loud. It's going to be dirty. We are literally ripping the top of your house off and putting it back on, you know, so you got to. You're going to find a nail in your yard. It's yeah. not if it's when, and we'll try to avoid that, but it you're, you're thousands of nails and staples on your roof, dude. It's, it's not. It, well, and, and if you, you know, we even go a step further on in our estimate right at the bottom. It says damaged sheeting replaced at $70 a sheet. Mm-hmm. If your sheeting is in such poor condition that one of our people fall through the roof, we are not responsible for interior damage. 
you waited too long. That's not our fault. You know, we have to at least be able to safely walk up there. We because I I mean I bet we've replaced a dozen ceilings because somebody's fallen through. Oh, we had one. I got a call one day from the crew and said, Hey, you've got to come over here like right now. The guy fell through the living room ceiling and took the entire ceiling down with him. Oh no. He landed in the living room. And, and I go there and the people aren't home. They're on vacation. Luckily, I knew them a little bit. I graduated high school with their son. But I go over there and their front door's open. Insulation, drywall, it's all laying on the ground. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I got to call these people and tell them, like, hey, um, your, your whole ceiling's laying on the floor. And, you know, because back at that time, that's been a couple years ago, I didn't have these expectations set prior to yeah. I replaced that whole freaking ceiling for free. I yeah. had a drywaller like 1200 bucks to, to, you know, rehang the drywall with insulation in there, you know? Yeah. So we, we lost money on the job just because I didn't set the expectation. They waited way too long to put a roof on, you know, that, that shouldn't be our fault, but yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. So one last thing before we part, it's something I'm working on literally this morning and I want to get your thoughts and advice. Referrals are gold. I, I mean, you said it earlier in our talk, you know, you almost can guarantee you're getting, you know, if you get a good referral, it, it is, I, I know for us, our referrals are like a 70% close rate. They're, they're, the value is so high. Very. What are you doing to get referrals? That, that's your number one piece of business is what I understand. How are you getting all these referrals? Because do three and a half million dollars, you're getting a bunch of referrals. What What is it that you're doing? Or is it just simply being good to people? Is there something else? I wish I had a better answer, but it's basically just being good. Like we ask for referrals. I can count on one hand how many times people have actually told me a name in person. Or when I text them like, hey, who do you know? Like, oh, I'll think about it. I'll get back to you. Like nobody ever tells you any names. But when you do a good job and people feel like you care and one, it doesn't leak again, which is great. But like when they feel like you really care and you do a good job and you're still around, people genuinely want to help you for the most part. We still ask in person and, you know, in emails and text messages like, hey, who do you know that bought a house, hasn't gone the roof looked at now that's raining, any problems, you know, stuff like that. There. Yeah, it's just basically just doing good and. Just trying, trying, to people right. trying to stay top of mind, like social media helps, but it's really just treating people right, doing the right thing. Like I can't tell you people have given us a lead from a bad experience they had with us that we fixed. Like they didn't know about the decking was bad. We charged them for it. They got upset. They didn't read the contract thoroughly and they agreed to it eventually. And like, oh yeah, I didn't read that. Like, well, it's not our fault. You didn't read this contract. But like saying, okay, fine, we'll eat that 200 bucks of wood. They leave us a review and they always refer us almost every single time. So it's like, we almost love having a problem because then it's an opportunity to make it right and get a new lead out of it by their neighbors. We got three leads this week from a, a neighbor we did like two months ago. All three of them want to go in at the same time. And it's like 70 grand for all three roofs. So it's like, we gave him a little bit of a discount because of you know group deal. But like, because that guy was loved us, he left us a review and also told his neighbors we should be getting three more jobs in the near in the next week or two just because we did a good job and we're very thorough. We're nice. We ask. Yeah. But that almost never works when you ask. So it's more of like, right. they just, it's just, you treated them right. 
You did yep. them a good job. You gave them yep. what they, what you said you were going to give them. Yep. You were fair and honest. And, and, and the, you know, I, I tell my people all the time, if there's ever a chance to do a customer a favor or a freebie, do it. Yeah. It always pays you back. Blow their driveway off, blow their porch off, you know, readjust their plants. Ask if you can use use your ladder to change a light bulb. I did that once. I readjusted a chandelier that was falling down because the people who did it just was just a handyman that sucked. So I went up there and re-screwed it. It's like, hey, I have a ladder. Do everything tall that I can help you with? Like, I won't paint because I hate painting, but like, I'll change a light bulb. I will get that cobweb down because I see a spider in your ceiling. Like, we'll do that. And that's something nice that is just above and beyond that you don't expect from people anymore because people just suck, I think. But and like, it didn't cost you anything or take you know, any time. We're already there. We're never going to forgive you for it. Your ladder's already out. They're going to be appreciative that you got that spider down. Um, yeah. My wife is an arachnophobe, so she would literally die if she saw one in our house. But, like, people just don't have the resources we do sometimes. So, nobody has a leaf blower. We'll leaf blow your driveway and your backyard and your rocks. And, we'll, you know, a bunch of the crap we get with our magnet is not ours. It's rusted screws from three years ago from a drywall project you personally did. So, it's like, hey, it's, we're already here. The mag doesn't discriminate whether it's roofing or not. So it's like, yeah, it's going to pick up anything. So that'll help again with their dogs, their humans, their cars, all that crap. It's like, yeah, it doesn't cost much or anything. It's just being a nice person, going a little bit out of your way to take advantage of the long-term value of a client, which I think is what we hone in on a lot is clients are your best lead generation and your best source of wealth because they refer you. And if you don't take care of them, why would they take care of you? It makes no sense. You know, just to wrap up, it's probably one of the biggest pieces of overlooked stuff in in our business because we think of our customers as one and done. When we put a roof on for them, we're probably not working for them ever again. But guess what? They got neighbors, they got friends, they got family. So they might sell the house later. They might sell their house later and buy another one. So guys, you gotta you gotta just treat them good, take care of them because it it pays in tenfold. So okay. oh Zach, well it's been great. I will uh, I'll let you be man. If, if you got anything else we'd uh we can always do this again sometime so yeah yeah cool man well i appreciate it uh have a good rest of your day and uh stay icon dry you got it dude see ya